Hi, this is Dave Summers, and welcome to AMA Edgewise. Drew Dudley's TEDx talk, Everyday Leadership, has been viewed 5 million times and has been praised by Time, Business Insider, and Inc. magazines. Drew is the founder of Day One Leadership, where he works with individuals and organizations around the world to unlock their leadership potential. He's the author of the book, This is Day One, A Practical Guide to Leadership That Matters, and it's published by Hachette. Drew, welcome to AMA Edgewise. It's my absolute thrill to be here. Thanks. If you don't mind, take a second. Describe to us your concept of day one and tell us where did that come from? The idea of day one leadership is a process that's supposed to help people plan, execute, and then evaluate your leadership on a daily basis, as opposed to over blocks of time by how many titles you've earned or how much money you've made. Because it's based on the premise that the number one determinant of how people feel about you and how they treat you how they feel about you treating them, and how you feel about yourself is based on how you behave on a day-to-day basis. It's not about how you look in meetings. It's not about what your business card looks like. People feel the way they do about you and how likely they want to follow you based on how you behave on a day-to-day basis. So the day one process, what it's about is saying, all right, imagine you could go back to day one as a manager, as a person, right? Still knowing everything you do now. If you go back to day one and start building yourself into the manager, into the leader, into the person that you want to be, what would be the non-negotiable behaviors that you would embed into your life every single day? Mm -hmm. That's what it's about, identifying those and then actually executing on them. And it came from a lot of different places, but probably the biggest influence is my experience in alcohol recovery. Mm -hmm. Because what you learn when you go into recovery is that if you don't want to have a drink for the rest of your life, you choose not to have a drink today. Mm -hmm. That choice is non-negotiable. And then you have to treat every day for the rest of your life like it is day one of your recovery. Mm -hmm. Because if you slip up, all right, if you don't live that non-negotiable behavior, you can't just throw it away and say, well, that wasn't worth doing. You have to recommit the next day, forgive yourself because everybody screws up on day one, and recommit. But if you got 25 years in, none of those days matter today because they don't impact your non-negotiable behavior today. And when I realized that, this idea that inherent in day one is a commitment, a humility, and a forgiveness, let's take the idea of leadership and focus on the idea that, look, there are non-negotiable behaviors that leaders do every day, not when there's time, not when they finish their to-do list, not when the meeting's over. These things have to happen every day, and everyone can do that. That's accessible to everyone. And coming from the university background, I just got tired of leadership books and leadership training that didn't meet people where they were in terms of their comfort with the term leader. Most people aren't comfortable with it. So we're reading all these books that sort of meet people where one day they'd like to be and act as if it's the starting point. What I wanted to create was something practical and something accessible. I didn't want those words to be pejoratives when we talk about leadership anymore. So I wrote a book and I've been teaching a process that's about where to start. Whoever you are, whether you've never thought of yourself as a leader before or you're a CEO, this is where you start. What are the mistaken, commonly held assumptions about leadership? Where are people using the wrong definitions when it comes to things like defining leadership or understanding what leadership is? And how does the day one 
philosophy, let's call it, how is it different from those older, more established kind of go-to definitions? You know, the go-to definitions are really exclusionary. It's like I came from the education system. So what I start to realize is that, and I think all of us should realize, is there's a lot of lessons that are learned even if they're never explicitly taught. And one of those lessons is that leadership is a small club you have to compete to get into. And when you compete to get into it and you're successful, you get more money and more power and more opportunities and more respect. And for people who look like me, who look like a straight white dude, that, oh, wow, everybody else in the club looks like me for a long time. But the idea is there's these huge groups of people who don't see themselves as capable of getting in the club. And we're taught that because when we teach the concept, it's all giants. It's all presidents. When you're a kid and they want to explain leadership to you, they talk about presidents and yeah. they talk about people who conquered yeah. empires. Yeah. Giants, go ahead, look up to them. Yeah. The problem is we don't see ourselves in those giants. Yeah. And so there's a wedge that gets built very early on between the concept of leader and who we are. Mm-hmm. And so we start to devalue the leadership that we do demonstrate every day because we don't see it as leadership. Moments of impact, of class, of empowerment, of kindness and generosity, we see them as little things and we dismiss them. And when we ignore the fact that what those are are actions of leadership, actions of leadership we're all capable of, when we ignore them as leadership, what we're effectively doing is we're ignoring the vast majority of the leadership on the planet. Mm -hmm. And we create a situation where most of the people who are leaders don't see themselves as such. That's most of us. The leadership on the planet comes mostly from people who don't see themselves as leaders. Mm -hmm. That, I think, is a problem. For managers, it means that most of the people who work with you, they don't see themselves as leaders. And that's bad for your organization. The people you love the most, your kids don't see themselves as leaders because we've separated this idea. The day one approach, I think at its core, what I'm trying to tell people and get them thinking about is that we all start in the morning of every day at the same place when it comes to leadership. You have done nothing to earn the title when you get out of bed. Nothing. So all of us are at the same place. Whether or not we get to call ourselves a leader that day has everything to do with how we behave that day. Mm -hmm. And I want to give people a plan to figure out exactly what that is and to make sure they execute on it. It's interesting. Early on in that response, you said something that I very much strongly agree with. And it's this whole issue of the heroic myth of the leader, the Olympus type of leader, the Steve Jobs, you know, the Jeff Bezos. And we read these books and we watch these feature films. And I wonder if those types of books and stories almost don't do more harm than good as it relates to um, giving people a working understanding of what it takes to be a strong leader. I think there's nothing wrong with looking up to successful people, and there's Mm -hmm. certainly nothing wrong with being aspirational. Sure. I just don't like the idea that trying to focus each day on impacting other people one-on-one isn't aspirational. Sure. Like, that is aspirational. I guess one of the things I I often have to— But you're taking a positive point of view. That's my point. You know what I mean? I mean— the stories about, I don't mean to interrupt you, but no. like the job stories always end up being him brilliant, a visionary, but arguably an ogre. You know yeah. what I mean here and there. I don't want to tear him down, but it's sort of like I don't want to model my behavior after somebody who's really not good with people. Someone asked me recently to talk about whether people like that were in fact leaders. And it's troublesome because we do give them that title. Oh, yeah, Steve Jobs accomplished so much 
But you said, I like that. He's an ogre. He treated people badly, but he's still a leader. Okay, his methods were bad, but look what he accomplished. The big one, too, is, you know, how about Hitler? How about that CEO who outsources into a child labor in in Malaysia? Aren't they leaders, though? Because, well, you can disagree with their methods. Look what they accomplished. That's true. My argument is that those aren't actually leaders. The problem is we never figured out a term for them. Yeah. So we treat them the same <laughs> That's a way. Good point. Yeah. That's a very good point. So you know what I call them? So you put quotation mark. What do you yeah. call them? Catalysts for harm. Oh. Because when I was a kid, my biology teacher in high school taught me the idea of catalyst. Yeah. And my, my name is actually Chief Catalyst mm-hmm. or my title. Because uh, the cool thing about starting your own company is you get to pick your own there title. There you go. Catalyst take things that are already possible and make them happen faster. Mm-hmm. They unlock the power of the things around them. Right. And I immediately thought, that is what I want to yeah. be. Yeah. I didn't know that was a leader yet, but it's a great title for it. Now, all leaders are catalysts, but not all catalysts are leaders. Yeah. Catalysts or leaders, what they do is they expand potential in other people. They expand their skills, their opportunities, their rights, their respect. Catalysts for harm minimize those. Mm -hmm. They take away people's self-worth. They build their empires on the exploitation of other people. And ultimately, people feel diminished when they're around. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I think is important is I like using those two different terms to make a distinction between true leaders who focus on the expansion of things for people and catalysts for harm, which focus on the shrinking of opportunities for people. And I think that's an important distinction. Completely agree with you. In the book, you identify six core values of leadership. How do these behaviors define, describe, underlay your approach? Ultimately, one of the core things about the day one approach is you have to have these set non-negotiable behaviors every day. And those behaviors have to flow from your core values. A big part of my work and in the book is that most people don't actually know what those core values are. So first you start by identifying them, and then there's a plan that it executes on how to make sure they're a part of your life every day. Mm-hmm. Wanting to demonstrate that process, and really the, the book is called Day One. It's about where to start. So there's exercises you have to do to discover your values, but the idea is I want people to be able to put the book down and start today, day one. Mm-hmm. So I gave these six examples that drive my life and my business, and their impact, and courage, growth, empowerment, class, and self-respect. And those are yours. Those are mine. Those are my leadership tests. And the book's about figuring out your leadership test. But what you do is you attach six questions. I have six questions that if I answer them, I live those values. My goal every day to determine whether or not I'm a leader is do I get three of the six questions every day? And if you do that, you pass the leadership test, which is why I say the process is about planning, executing, and then evaluating. Mm -hmm. One of the things I think we need to be open about is that you're not always in charge of what you have to do every day. You're always in charge of who you are. Mm -hmm. But until you actually use that power, you forget you have it. And so the process is all about reminding yourself every day that you do have that control in your life. Because there's lots of days where everything outside of your control in life and business blows up in your face. Mm -hmm. But you can still go home and know you passed the leadership test. And that's a gift you can give yourself some days. One of the biggest problems that people have with mounting behavior change or habit change or making this type of commitment is probably the most silly, stupid, obvious one, which is how do I get started? What's the very first step I take? Of those questions that you asked, is any one of them more important than the other one? Is any one what you might call a magic 
question. What is it and how does it work? I don't think that anyone is more important. They're all important. They're all important. But I'd say that two you could start on today if you're, if, is like the powerful ones. Literally walking away from this podcast, buying the book, of course. But, you know, the, what, what, what's the like, the, the, what are those two? Two, what have I done today to recognize someone else's leadership? Leadership recognized is leadership created. Fundamental premise of the book. So what the book often talks about is how do you better recognize the leadership around you in your life and in the lives of other people? If you're listening to this right now, think of someone around you in your past or right now that the way they make you feel, the way they interact with others, and this could be the person who serves you coffee in the morning at your local coffee shop, right up to your right-hand person at your work. Recognize that. Tell them they are a leader. Because when you recognize behaviors that are leadership, you make people feel good about them. And we are more likely to repeat the things that make us feel good. Sure. So we talk about developing leadership in ourselves and in our organizations. Start by recognizing the stuff that already exists. The other one, what have I done today to be good to myself? That's tied to the value of self-respect. And self-respect is the foundation upon which everything else has to be built. Mm -hmm. I argue that in the book I talk about how there is no hole in your life that cannot be filled by Mm self-respect. And I think that we often treat leadership as if it's martyrdom. How many more hours I work, how much more I give up. And ultimately, when you are empty, you have nothing to give to other people. So what have you done today to be good to yourself? Those two, if you walk away right now and you make sure that for the next 30 days you got an answer to those questions, there's no way that you're not demonstrating personal leadership and the type of leadership that empowers others. I don't know if it's been like just this past month or this past year even, but I'm seeing an awful lot of this whole imposter syndrome type thing like I have the responsibility, I have the team, I have the title, I have the budget, but oh my God, I just don't think I'm the right person for this thing. How did I get here? They promoted the wrong person. I'm the wrong person at the right place at the right time, whatever. How do you approach something like that idea of the not having belief in yourself or thinking Wait till they find out I'm a phony. One of the things I I believe in and I try to let people know is that part of that comes from the fact that we haven't given ourselves evidence that we matter, that we haven't given ourselves or we haven't paid attention to the evidence that we matter and that we're good people. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, is because because we haven't identified the core values we want to stand for every day. The only time that we actually live up to them is by accident. Mm -hmm. We stumble into those opportunities. What the process of day one is about is by being able to give yourself specific evidence every day that you were someone of worth. Mm -hmm. So if you say these are my values and you then sort of say here's the behaviors that are consistent with them Mm -hmm. and here I've actually done it, that actually is giving yourself evidence that you matter every day. And I ask that question Every one of the presentations I give, why do you matter? And 90% of the people can't give me an answer. It's not because they don't. It's because we don't have evidence. We haven't given ourselves evidence. We haven't paid attention to the evidence. And so what happens is you tie all of your concept of self-worth to how you're behaving in your workplace, how you're acting in your position. And we haven't actually focused on giving yourself these moments each day where you fully have to recognize, hey, that was just a moment of empowerment. That was just a moment of impact. So we've stopped letting them pass by unnoticed, unrecognized, and you stopped allowing yourself, you're avoiding allowing yourself 
to give yourself that evidence. Sure. I want to be clear. You will never get rid of imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Not feeling as if you're entirely safe is simply an evolutionary impact to say, always feel a little bit on edge and you'll always be aware of dangers. So don't beat yourself up when you feel it. We'll never get rid of it. But we can counteract it by giving ourselves hard evidence mm-hmm. that it isn't necessarily accurate. The thing mm-hmm. is, we haven't made that plan. Mm-hmm. We let all the stuff we have to do get in the way of who we want to be. And we only get our focus and our evidence from what we do as opposed to who we are. Mm-hmm. Are you an optimist? That's one of the best questions I have ever been asked. In what context? It, in it's, whatever context you deserve to receive that question. Am I an optimist? I'm an optimist on an individual level. And I don't mean for me. Sometimes I worry that collectively we're not going to make the right decisions. It's hard sometimes when you face it to say when you look out there at the world as a group, it's hard for us to collectively make yeah. good decisions. And However, on an individual level, it is hard not to be optimistic about the world. Mm-hmm. It is really hard when you watch moments where people impact others in a way where somebody tells you that you mattered to them, where somebody is just, the, the internet's an evil little place sometimes. It's horrible, isn't it? But there's also, <laughs> every day if you look for it, you can find something on the internet sure. that reminds you that we are not the collective you see on cable sure. news, right? Yeah, right. We are individuals who can choose every day. I could not have written this book if I was not optimistic about the fact that individuals can choose every day to make the world a better place. And when they do it, it is leadership. And when you layer those days one on top of the other, all of the things we're taught are goals in our life, money, titles, respect, and prestige. Those are the natural byproducts Mm -hmm. of consistent value-based behaviors. I am optimistic every single person on the planet can do that. Good. I don't know if that makes me an optimist overall. I think it though. does. Yeah. I think it does. And I think it's neat because I think the timing of a book like this, in particular when you look at even books that have perhaps even more of, a, of an innovation or, or a, a sociological type of approach to them, like Steven Pinker's book or Kevin Kelly's book about innovation, whatever. And that's that, you know what, over time, it's like over time, whether we like it or not, the statistics are telling us things are getting better, you know, lifespans and whatnot. But I'd like to believe, I'd like to believe, and books like yours will help us do that, I'd like to believe that the human side of that is also getting better as well. I might say this. I think it's more important to be resilient than to be optimistic. Because if you're resilient, you don't have to hope for the best. Sure. You can embrace the best and you can deal with the worst. And I think that maybe that's a way of doing it. Like maybe build up your resilience. Because optimism, you just hope. Resilience, you do something. You develop an ability to deal with with the bumps in the way. And I think that's really important. And I think it's all about saying this is a behavior. And is optimism a behavior? I think it's a mindset. And that's great. Resilience, that's behaving and dealing with the stuff that comes. And if we're resilient for long enough, we have every reason to be optimistic because we can deal with what's coming. Every now and then I interview somebody who's written a book or done a blog or whatever, or a thought leader, an executive, and they're sitting in that chair and they talk to me about the long view. They talk to me about the horizon. They talk to me about the five-year plan, the 10-year plan, the 20-year plan, the 30-year plan, stuff like this. What you're talking about is, and tell me if I'm wrong, what you're talking about is on a personal level, you've got these day slices of like personal reality and from a leadership standpoint, like team reality that you have to deal with. Where does the long view fit into this? There's a guy in the book He kicks off the book, and I go back to him two or three times. He was a guide for a day in the desert. His name was Mustafa. 
And he taught me something about the long view that I've never forgotten. I asked him, you know, what, what, do you, what would you share with people about building a business? And he said, when I first started the company, everybody talked about your five-year plan, your five-year, it's so essential, right? And he said, I started to realize that five-year plans aren't important. What's important is momentum, five-year momentum. He said plans can be relatively restrictive because what they do is they close you off to opportunities you didn't see coming. And every opportunity that presents itself, the ones you hope for and the ones that surprised you, they get evaluated by how well they fit in the plan. But he says if you choose not to focus on plans and instead focus on momentum, you evaluate every opportunity that appears with an open mind, simply asking which one of these generates the most momentum. And so in my case, what I try to do and what I I try to teach in the book is this idea that we do not know what the future holds. Mm -hmm. We can't. And that often means we don't act in the present. We wait to be certain before we do anything. We tread water because if we're not certain and we take action, what if we do the wrong thing? My argument is that what this book does and what this process does is it gives you momentum Every day, even when you have no idea what the future holds, Mm -hmm. it gives you a clear plan only today. But the idea is that it will continually generate momentum, even when you're not really sure where you're going. And that's not a bad thing, because as he pointed out in the desert, momentum is what gives you control. If you go too slow, you get stuck. If you go too fast, you spin out. The only way you can steer is if you have the right amount of speed forward. And look, you should have plans. You should move forward. But I think a key point that I try to make in all of the work that I do is that the biggest impact you'll have on your organization, on the people you lead, and on this world will have nothing to do with your plans. It will almost always be as a result of the unplanned consequences of your everyday actions. And these things, these values and the questions and the behaviors that you have to make non-negotiable every day, they're not just about you. They are about your organization and they are about your team because ultimately they impact how you treat them. Mm -hmm. And I think that you can answer the questions that you create through doing the process. You answer them every day through your work, Mm -hmm. not just separately because any plan you create that only works when you're having a good day or when you've got extra time, terrible plan, Mm -hmm. not going to work. What about those cases where the team, the unit, the tribe is kind of in a bubble and they have this nice little good thing going, and they're reinforcing each other, and the team leader's doing a good job of setting them up for success, but they tend to be surrounded. The rest of the waiting pool or the rest of the aquarium, whatever analogy you want to use, is really not all that good. It might be a toxic organizational culture. It might have poor senior leadership and stuff like that. What are, you know, what's some advice or words of encouragement, or what would your approach be to being sort of that island of good feelings and that island of, I call it success if you want to, but surrounded by not so great environment. I'm going to use, for the first part of your question, I'm going to use three of the most powerful words in leadership. I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and say to you, if you've got a team that's working and it's surrounded by toxic people on every level, how do you change that? Mm -hmm. I don't know yet. But I do know this, your words of encouragement part. Ultimately, the only thing you're in control of is how you behave. Mm -hmm. And ultimately... Bear in mind that when you understand your values and you live consistently with them, you will more often than not positively impact the people with whom you interact. I do think that three words to keep in mind 
Because what happens is those toxic people, when you're empty, you pull from other people. So here are three words of advice that you can stick into your head when you are focusing on your behaviors and other people simply are being toxic. Three words. Elevate, don't escalate. Leaders elevate situations. They do not escalate them. And when you're surrounded by toxic people, it's easy to escalate. Mm. What that means is that elevating is trying to succeed. Escalating is trying to win. Mm. People will collaborate in pursuit of success, but they dig in and defend their position when trying to win. So when you are dealing with toxic people and toxic people like others, they enjoy it when others get toxic too. I don't know why. Share the disease. I think that's it. Oh, that's a really good way of putting it. (laughs) So when they're trying to do it, three words should run through your head at all times. And they have been a career saver for me. Elevate, don't escalate. One of the great things I heard is that humans are the only creatures on the planet with a gap between stimulus and response. Mm -hmm. Your career, your management, your leadership, your relationships will in large part be determined by how you use the gift of that gap. Elevate, don't escalate. Toxicity is going to be around you. Do not let it infest you. Awesome. And my last question, we at the AMA kind of pride ourselves on being the warm little campfire that a new manager, an aspiring leader, can go to to learn how to do it. They've been great individual contributors, but now they have a team, they have a budget, they have a purpose, they have a goal. What's in this book for that that aspiring leader, that new manager? I think one of the six questions tied to one of the core values, empowerment, a commitment to acting as the catalyst for the success of others, and the question that I tell them to go in every day making sure they try to answer, what have I done today to make it more likely someone else will move closer to a goal? If you can do that every day as a manager, you're dealing with people who've come through a system that have taught compete, 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 compete. If you can model the idea that, look, if you can outperform 90% of the people on this team, you might think you'll get promoted. You might think you'll make six figures. Yeah, but that's not what impresses me. If you can become the type of person where everyone who works with you outperforms everyone who doesn't work with you, then I will reward you as a manager. But you have to model that. You have to every day ask yourself, who has moved closer to a goal because of me today? And if you make that a part of every day of your life as a manager, as one CEO in the book told me, I wanted to create an entire organization full of people who could do my job tomorrow, but no one wanted to take it. That's the goal as a manager. We've been speaking to Drew Dudley. He's the author of This is Day One, A Practical Guide to Leadership That Matters, published by Hachette. Drew, this is compelling stuff. Good luck with the book. Thanks so much. Follow American Management Association on Twitter to learn more about upcoming free programs, the latest news, management insights, and special offers. You can follow us at A-M-A-N-E-T. That's A-M-A-N-E-T. Hope to tweet to you real soon. feedback very seriously here at the AMA. If you get a minute, you have some thoughts about this program or additional questions, just send an email to us at podcasts at amanet.org. 